Uh, if you've been with us any length of time, you know we're um, in a, a series called Paul's Gospel. We're, um, we're going through the book of Romans, not necessarily in order. We're trying to kind of follow the, the different trains of thought that Paul has. Uh, the first week, we, we kind of established that what Romans is about is, is Paul um, has, has had a massive paradigm, sh- paradigm shift. And what that means is that Paul uh, grew up and he thought the world was a certain way. And he thought that he understood the basics of how the world operated and the way it worked. And what he found was that when he encountered the living Christ, the, re- the resurrected Jesus, when he encountered that Lord, it flipped everything that he thought he knew upside down. It changed everything he thought about what a Messiah should be. It changed everything he thought about what faith and sin and human beings are and our future and Israel. I mean, everything in his world was turned upside down. And Romans is this amazing testament where he, he kind of just, he throws it all out there at us. This, this totally fresh, upside down way of seeing everything. And so each week we're kind of, we're, we're exploring how that works, how, how what was has been changed. And what we're finding is that not a lot's changed since Paul's day. We still see the world the way he did before Christ. And we still need to have our, our world turned upside down. Last week um, we, we talked about the problem of what's wrong with people. You know, it, before Paul encountered Jesus, you know, he, he thought that the problem with people was that they, they didn't know what they were doing and they needed someone to hold them accountable to live the right way. Um, he basically, like, it, it was basically AA. That's how AA functions, is you, you, you know that you're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z, and you need people around you to make sure you do it. And that's, that's how people get fixed. That's how people get, um, get healed, and, and that's what's wrong with them. But if that's the case, Paul thought, well, then why did the Messiah have to die and be raised again? And that's sort of the question that's animating us today. Why did Jesus have to die and then come back from the dead? Well, last week we saw that Paul realized the problem wasn't, that's not what's wrong with people. The problem with people is that sin is an evil power and it has completely enslaved all of humanity. And if that's the case, that there's this radical problem with us, then there has to be a radical solution to fix it. And so, uh, I'd like to invite you to read me um, Romans 6, uh, 4 to 14, where Paul gives us uh, the solution to the problem of sin and death. He says, Therefore we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the body or corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. And if we died with Christ, we will believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death has no power over him anymore. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider, and I I would maybe say you you also should recognize. uh, The Greek there can go either way, and I think recognize sounds a little little closer to what Paul would intend. You also should recognize yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So then don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. 
Don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law but under grace. The first thing I just want us to notice um, is the the, the language of, of togetherness, of participation, of unity. Uh, it, it, it's all through the text, and, and it's, it's, it's really, it's important for us to understand that what Paul sees as happening is that there is some, some really real connection between us and Jesus. If we believe in him, that there's some kind of connection with him. We're together and we're participating with him. Uh, this last week, we celebrated July 4th, uh, Independence Day. In fact, uh, by the way, that's, uh, th- that's our church's birthday. So 52 years ago, 1967, Colonel Ridge Ryan, his daughter Jan, hey Jan, uh, is here. Uh, Colonel Ridge Ryan founded Coast um, on uh, July 4th. So we're celebrating our 52nd anniversary, and we're also celebrating, uh, because we love America, we're celebrating America. And one of the fun things I like to do is uh, when, you know, some British person or some Frenchie gets a little uppity, you know? And they're like, oh, those, those Americans, they don't know what they're doing. Be like, oh, well, um, hey, you're welcome for bailing you out of World War I and II. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Hey, glad we won that Cold War for you. You're welcome. It's an interesting way we think. And um, do I have the, 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 the photo of, of D-Day? Yeah. Um, it's interesting the way I say that, right? Like, oh, you're welcome. You know, we America, America, we did this, right? We saved you from, from the Nazis. But I didn't have anything to do with that, right? Like, I, I, sometimes, you know, if I'm watching Saving Private Ryan or I see these photos of D-Day or something like that, I recognize that, that there is nothing within me that constitutes the kind of person who could do what those people did. I would be like... A disaster. I would die very quickly and be forgotten. Um, And yet, because I'm an American, because I'm part of this country, I see D-Day as part of my history, right? I see the good things about America as as something that I inherit, I'm a part of, I participate. Uh, Not literally and historically, but yet somehow... um, It's part of my identity. This is who I am. Well, Paul thinks that something very similar has happened with Jesus Christ. Nobody in the Roman church went and lived and and was crucified and was raised again. And yet, somehow, by the power of the Spirit, we're together. We're together with Jesus. He even uses that language of baptism. And when we practice baptism, the idea is like the, 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 the symbolism of going under the water and coming back out. It, well, it's, it's like we're being buried together with Christ. And we're coming out of the, of the tomb with Christ. There's, a, there's an element of, of somehow we're connected. That it really is us. We participate with him. And why? Why is that important? Well, uh, Paul says, we were crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. Uh, CEB over-translates a little bit here. Corpse is just the Greek word for body, soma. But he is ta- he's talking about a body that's been crucified, that's dead. And, and, and so the, the translation here is meant to bring out the fact that once, you, once the body's dead, 
It's no longer controlled by sin. You'll notice um, I've, I've elected to capitalize the S for sin in this translation uh, because Paul really does think of sin as having power, of controlling us, enslaving us. It's this thing that's got us you know, oppressed and it's, and it's causing us to be people we don't want to be. And, and, and then Paul says, but, but in order to get rid of the, the corpse that had been controlled by sin, Jesus had to be crucified. Why? Because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. Do I have the, uh, the shrimp? The shrimp and the eel. I'd say uh, shrimp and a, and a moray eel. This is a symbiotic relationship. That's what the scientists say. So the eel swims around, and eels are very gross, and they have a lot of dirt on them. And, and, and shrimp are also very gross. They like to eat dirt. And so the shrimp, uh, honestly, if you start thinking about what you're doing when you eat seafood, it's, it's pretty horrible. Like, what's going on inside those animals is, is just awful. Anyway, as the eel goes around, uh, you know, it picks up, like, dirt and microbes and nasty things. And the shrimp, the shrimp is hungry, and so the shrimp goes and he eats all the stuff that's on the eel. And so the eel gets a bath of sorts. He gets cleaned up. Also, his dead skin cells. <laughs> when, when, the, when the eel has dead skin cells, the shrimp eats that, too. Um, <laughs> So, but this is a win-win situation, right? It's a win-win because the shrimp gets a delicious meal of dead skin cells and, you know, microbes or whatever, and the eel gets a bath. It's symbiotic. There's another type of relationship that, uh, that happens in the, in the natural world. It's called a parasitic relationship. I would give you a picture, but if I did, you would throw up, which is what almost happened to me this morning when I Google imaged it. This is what happens in a parasitic relationship. In a parasitic relationship, there's, an, there's one animal that's, that's feeding on a host. And the host doesn't like it. Uh, you might think of ticks and leeches, right? Leeches are sitting there and they're like, you know, sucking your blood. Well, no, I would prefer to keep my blood. But the le- leech said, no, I'm going to keep it. There's actually a set of parasites. There's lots of different parasites that actually, they just keep feeding on the host until the host dies. Like they just keep... <laughs> And what Paul thinks is he thinks that sin is basically like a parasite that feeds on the host until it dies. Now think about that. So if you're sitting there and you see so the parasite's there and you're like, you're like, man, this parasite's terrible, but you can't get rid of it, right? Well, hey, good news. If you just die, then the parasite can't, you know, feed on you anymore. Problem solved, right? Awesome. So all I need is, so if, if I have a parasite that I can't get rid of, if I just wait till it kills me, then it's done. It's, it's, it's defenestrated. I'm, well, I'm free, free at last. Also dead. Did you see that Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. I know a lot of you who are above the age, not you, Scott, but a lot of the, above the age of 50 haven't seen these superhero movies because they're stupid. I get that. I love them. In fact, I would say that Thor Ragnarok is probably the best movie of 2017. Maybe the decade. No, The Greatest Showman was garbage. Uh, I'm just kidding. It was awesome. I want to sing along. Uh, no, but so Thor, Thor Ragnarok, it's based on the Norse, Norse mythology of Ragnarok. Does anyone know what Ragnarok is in Norse myth- mythology? Yeah. 
No, no, that's Asgard. Ragnarok is the apocalypse, right? It's funny. I've watched this movie like 30 times, and it never explains what Ragnarok means. <laughs> They're just having fun. It's great. Anyway, uh, what really is, so, so Asgard is where all the Norse, you know, Thor and Loki and all their people live. Ragnarok is the prophecy of when um, this guy, Surtur, this fire demon, is going to come and destroy Asgard. It's the apocalypse. It's the end of days for Asgard. And so Thor is like, well, gee, we don't want that to happen. And so he spends the entire movie trying to prevent Ragnarok from happening. He wants to prevent the apocalypse. He doesn't want to see his home destroyed. But then something happens. His older sister, Hela, the goddess of death, comes, and she starts to take over Asgard. And so Thor gets, you know, his Valkyrie friends. He gets the Hulk, who's there randomly. He gets Loki, his brother. And he's like, we've got to stop Hela. We've got to stop her. She's taking over Asgard. She's taking over our home. We've got to prevent this. And they give everything they've got. They're fighting. They, it, Thor even, like, brings down massive lightning bolts to, like, destroy her. And then this happens. You are reborn. Power! Enough! You want Asgard? It's yours. Whatever game you're playing, it won't work. You can't defeat me. No, I know. But he can. Fulfilling the prophecy. I hate this prophecy. So do I, but we have no choice. Surtur destroys Asgard, he destroys Hela so that our people may live. But we need to let him finish the job, otherwise. No. I'll stop you, moron! Just for once in your life, don't smash! Big monster! Let's go! Oh, stop. Oh, bye, Hulk. Yeah, these movies are totally ridiculous. Yeah, basically what happens... Okay, there we go, yeah. So basically what happens at this point is they unleash Ragnarok. They unleash the apocalypse. And Asgard is destroyed. But the people go free. They have to destroy the one thing that they love in order to make sure that the parasite dies with the host. 
And this is exactly what Paul thinks is happening in the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the first thing in your note sheets. He thinks that, um, the first thing in your note sheets, the first thing in your note sheets, yes. Since sin rules and dominates our living bodies, only death can free the body from its power. Only death can set us free from sin's power. Well, that's sort of good news, just like it's sort of good news that Asgard being destroyed stops, you know, Hela. It's sort of good news, but it leaves us kind of hanging. Well, death is not great. Death is not good. It frees us from sin, but we're also dead, right? Well, Paul goes on. He says in verse 8, But if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should recognize yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Jesus Christ. The death that Jesus experiences is once for all, and in it, sin's uh, shackles are are broken forever. But that's not the end of the story. The the story has to keep going. There has to be a resurrection. Jesus has to come back victorious over death, victorious over sin. So now he has a new life, a life that's 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 the life of God. It's it's a life that's that's beyond sin, that's transcended sin, that's freed up from sin's power. That's the life that he now lives. And if we participate with him, if we're together with him, united with him in his death and his resurrection, that life is ours also. We get all of the benefit of being freed up from the shackles of this evil power. And we get to live into the glorious life of the resurrection age. Look at the next slide. Keanu Reeves. One of Maybe the most talented actors in history. <laughs> Just beautiful to look at. Um, here's the deal. So I'm a big fan of Keanu Reeves. I've loved him ever since Point Break, 1991. Of course, The Matrix, 1999. You see it there on, on uh, the left side of the screen. Um, but there was a, a point. that This is a true story, actually, about Keanu. Uh, he, um, so after The Matrix movies were uh, finishing up, he, his wife um, gave birth to a stillborn child. And then two weeks later, uh, she died in a car wreck that was uh, fueled by substance abuse. Um, and, and to this day, Keanu has never dated anyone else. It's very strange. Um, in fact, this sort of coincided with the collapse of his career. So at 1999, he was the king of the world. I mean, he was Leonardo DiCaprio level, A-list, amazing guy. By 2008, he's in movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still, and it's, it's sad. It's just awful. In fact, the internet like blew up about uh, this this middle picture. They call it Sad Keanu. Um, somebody around 2006, 2007 uh, saw him sitting on a park bench eating a sandwich, obviously just a broken human being, and took a picture of him. That went all over the internet, and there was this sense of of collective like like we're with you, Keanu. It's like his career was dead. It was finished, over, completely done. His life was over, finished, completely done. And, and in a way, you know, with celebrities, especially someone that you love, you, you want to see them win. And when they don't, when they crash and burn, it, you crash and burn with them. There's a part of you that dies with them. Because you, we sort of see them as avatars. We project our hopes and dreams on celebrities. Not a good thing we do, by the way, but something we do. And then, 2014. 
John Wick. The resurrection. Interestingly, uh, John, John Wick, if you haven't seen the movie, it, it closely follows Keanu's own life story, where um, the, the movie is based on you know, the death of his wife and his dealing with grief and loss. And then the movie, like, he just pops back on the, on the scene, and it's, it's as though the 20 years that have passed since The Matrix haven't passed at all. He's back bigger than ever, fully alive. He's amazing. And we, if we're kind of identifying with Keanu and falling, we too are like, yes, yes! We now get to participate and enjoy the celebration, the, the, the new life of Keanu Reeves' celebrity. And of course, that's silly, but it's also exactly what Paul thinks has happened in the resurrection of Christ. That we have gone down to death, and the shackles of sin have been broken, and yet now we have come back to life, and it's a better life, it's a more glorious life, it's, it's beyond anything we can possibly imagine. We are truly free now. We are truly alive now. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. Being united with Jesus' death rids us of sin's rule. Being united with Jesus' re- resurrection allows us to live as God wants us to live. So, so then what? You know, if, that, if that's all true, if sin really doesn't rule over us, if, if it's not true that we're actually under sin's power, what should life be like? Well, Paul says this. He's like, so don't let sin rule your body. So that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin. Uh, the language they offer, um, this is very probably worship language. It's probably like sacrifice. Um, don't, uh, don't give up or present in, in, in an act of worship parts of your body to, to, to sin so that sin can use them as weapons. Uh, hoplon there, it can be an instrument or tool, but I do think weapons is right here because the idea is if, you know, you've been freed from sin's rule, but if you decide to do what sin wants you to do, it's like, now you're just damaging people again. It's as though, you, as though Jesus didn't die and rise at all. You're just going back and allowing the sin to turn you into a weapon to destroy the world. Why would you do that? Instead, present, offer yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead. And offer, present, sacrifice all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. To be a part of the revolution, the, the, the change in human history, going now the kingdom of God, living that out instead. Why wouldn't you? Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law but under grace. Um, there, uh, there's, a, there's a fascinating book. Uh, it's called um, Sick with Freedom. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a historian, um, and he, what he does is he traces some of the lives of freed slaves in the aftermath of the Civil War. And what he finds is that uh, he estimates probably 100,000-plus African Americans died from illnesses that were directly or indirectly related to being freed. Okay? Uh, what happened was so the Civil War took place, and in 1865, um, a 13th Amendment gets passed, and now officially forever, all uh, slavery is prohibited in the United States of America. And yet, it's deeply ingrained, deeply rooted in Southern culture, right? Plantations are just a fact of life there. And there is no backup plan. No one's been like, okay, once we, once we free the slaves, then what? It's, it's kind of like nobody knows what to do. And so literally, uh, you know, 
the Yanks, the Northerners, come down with their armies and they go to plantations and they're like, you're free now. And, and we have reports of, of, of former slaves now like, you know, just, woo, freedom, yes, yes, yes. We also have reports of slaves crying because they're terrified of the future. They don't know, they've been told what to do their entire lives. They don't have a culture of, they've been pro- prohibited from being educated. Um, they, and, and now they're looking at and they're like, if I leave, where do I go? What happens? We have reports of those who um, immediately went off, and uh, we have some amazing reports of, of slaves who were reunited with their families, you know, separated as, as children um, due to uh, uh, the way that chattel slavery was done in the United States, but, but re- uh, reunited and living these amazing lives. We also have stories of people who went and they ultimately came back to the plantation and were rehired, essentially, because they didn't know and they couldn't handle um, a, a different kind of life. A lot of them, uh, and this is what the book talks about, is they, they left the plantations, um, but they didn't know where to look for, for good land to, to, to tend and how to do it. And so they were especially vulnerable to the diseases of North America, and, and about 100,000, they think, in the aftermath of the Civil War, perished because, um, because of their freedom. Because as sick as it is, there is a fact that when you're enslaved, there's a comfort to it. Um, When you're under the rule of the master of the plantation, well, certain needs are met, status quo. It's horrible, it's hellish, but it might be better than what's beyond the plantation. Paul has been going around sharing his gospel. He's been saying, you have all been freed from this master. This master has owned you, enslaved you, and in Jesus, his power has been broken, and you are free to go. And there are a lot of people who don't want to. They look beyond um, the status quo, the way that life has been, and, and you know, yeah, okay, maybe um, the master is not looking over my shoulder anymore, but, but can't I just, can't I just keep be, and be safe here with this way of life? I, I know it's awful. I know it's sick and wrong, and yet there's comfort in it. I know it. It's familiar. What happens, you know, if I, if I leave, if I leave and I might end up like there and I might get sick, I might die. Here I'm sort of safe. And Paul is looking at that and he's like, if that's how you feel, if that's where you're at, you don't understand who God is. God didn't come to break these shackles and to set you free so that you could linger. He didn't, he didn't do that because he's got this, you know, 
like scary, you know, horrible life ahead of you that that's just going to crush you and destroy you. That that's not what God's about. God God is doing this because He can see beyond the edges of the plantation. He can see the bright future. He can see the way of life that is going to be fundamentally different, fundamentally good, fundamentally in keeping with what he's made you to be. He, and not to mention the new heavens and the new earth, the, the, the full and, and complete kingdom of God. He's got all of that in mind. And you're terrified. Yeah, the difference, uh, of course, between the uh, antebellum South and the the plan of God is that you know the antebellum South was uh, horribly racist, uh, Jim Crow, and all of that. There was um, a complete <laughs> and utter failure to uh, plan for the future and to um, bring the freed people into uh, a better life. The difference is God's not like that. He wouldn't have sent the Messiah to die and be raised, to suffer the ultimate death, the ultimate loss, the ultimate grief, the ultimate abandonment. He wouldn't have done that just so he could leave us to to wallow. If he's willing to go that far, then surely what he has next is going to be amazing. Surely what he has for us is going to be truly fulfilling, truly what we were called and meant to be from the very beginning. And, and just as there were some who, are, they, hear, they hear the word, you're free. And they're exhilarated. Like, yes, yes, now is a moment we've been waiting for all of our lives to go out beyond and to, and to, to see what, what is out there for us. I've waited for this my time. There's that, but there's also being terrified. I'm comfortable here. I like some of the aspects of what sin has done in my life, and I don't want to let them go, and so I'm afraid to leave. And that's uh, the last thing in your note sheets. Living free in God's grace can be exhilarating and terrifying. And so there may be people here, and you're sitting here, and you're like, okay, I'm a Christian. I get that. It might be that you're looking at your life, and you're aware of the fact that there are things in it for example, let's just say, maybe there's somebody here who um, secretly is uh, owned by uh, guilt and shame. There's something in your past, something uh, maybe even no one knows about but you, and uh, you feel terrible about it. What's, what's crazy about it is that you've found over the years that, um, that this guilt, this shame that you feel, not only does it exist, but it also incentivizes you to become you know, more active, to achieve more things because you're trying to make up for this thing in your past that's driving you. And you realize, in your mind, you think, you think that this guilt, this shame is actually a good thing because it's making you into somebody that's, you know, productive or effective and you achieve a lot. And so maybe you're, you're looking at the, the rule of guilt and shame in your life. You're like, ah, not so bad. Could be a lot worse. I certainly don't, I'm afraid to find out what would happen if, I, if it was gone. What kind of person would I be then? It might be terrifying for you to recognize that the rule, the power of guilt and shame in your life has been broken and you can walk away because you're afraid of what will happen if you do. 
There might be uh, people here who have set up very strict sets of, of, of rules for how you ought to live and how uh, everybody around you ought to live. And you've done that because it's safe. It's effective. It works. And what if you're slaving under these rules and regulations and, and you're like, uh, I'm afraid to step out because if I do, I worry that, that everything's going to fall apart. I worry that we as Christians, because we honestly lack faith, are happier living as if the master still ran the plantation than that we're free. I want to end with this. Um, this is crazy because this is where Paul's at, right? Paul's like, he's like, look, you have been set free from the rule of sin. It died with Christ. His new life and in, in the resurrection is ours. We're participating in it. But here's the deal. It's totally different than any life you've ever lived before. It's nothing like what you'd expect. It, the old ways, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this in, in, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, the, the old ways are this, 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 and this. I've got a brand new way of living. It's called, and he uses various terms, he'll say it like living under grace or living in the spirit. And it's really hard to articulate because we human beings, we want to we put it in these boxes we're comfortable with. The Messiah has blown those boxes up. And the way that we can live now is unlike anything you can possibly imagine. It is life as you've always desired it, even if you didn't know. And so I'd encourage you uh, to come back next week as we begin to see the new life that we have in the Messiah. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for um, crucifying and putting sin to death. That we um, participate with Jesus' crucifixion and, and we get to see the power of sin released, destroyed, that we're together with him, united with him in the resurrection, that we're the recipients of life in the spirit, a life that's under grace, a life that's not subject to the rules and the regulations of the past. God, I pray for uh, anyone here, Lord, who is living as though sin still rules in any part of their life. Anxiety or... Um, or fear, or uh, concerns about um, money, broken relationships, uh, depression, guilt, shame, um, strangled by pride. Lord, any, any place where, um, where the master still rules, I just ask for freedom, God. Freedom in, in your spirit to just walk away and to be released, emancipated, pushed into a bright future that might be scary but is good and is exhilarating and is free. In Jesus' name we ask that, God. Amen.